I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. And welcome to Minute 36 of Season 6 of Movie Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is on the first day of 2024. Happy New Year to everybody. Hope you're you're all not hungover and that, that you're ready to just dive in and listen to more about uh, It's a Wonderful Life. So joining me today on, again, the very first episode of 2024, is Richard Kirkham of Kirkham, A Movie A Day, and the Shepherd of the Lambcast. Welcome back to the show, Richard. I wish I had a million dollars. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be here, Rob. Uh, looking forward to this. Uh, this is one of my favorite films, and uh, I've got things to say. I'm not sure I have things to say that apply to all of our scenes, but we'll see how it goes. No, okay. Well, you know, I I, I give a little bit of leeway here and there, so you you can you can talk about other things too. It's okay. We'll we'll, we'll get there. I mean, you and I had a conversation a little over a year ago. We, we you know we were, we were on a podcast together talking about this movie, so you, you already yeah, know some was, of my thoughts on it. Yeah, this was a movie of the month uh, last December, and I believe it was your movie of the month. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I was anticipating uh, doing this. Uh, doing this season, so I said, "Why not?" You know, you guys were looking for for a movie that was uh, holiday related, and I said, "Hey, this is a good one." And I was planning on it was it it was actually later in my on my list. It was farther down on my list of when I was going to do it. And you know, after that experience, I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna bump it up," and that's what I did. You know, I know so I know I, I, I know I annoyed you and a whole bunch of other people that I, I went too much in depth. Uh, on the on the hour and a half uh, podcast that we had, but you know, here here I'm able to talk uh, you know 60, 70 hours about it. So it's yeah, I'll have a little go. bit more. Yeah. <laughs> so I I apologize, even though it's been over a year. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. It's all it's all good. Just sometimes it's like we we're recapping the whole movie, and I'm not sure everybody needed that, but that's just it's fun to talk about anytime. That's right. Oh, I learned my I learned my lesson when when I when I did for Bridge on the River Kwai a few months later. You know, I, I that one I, I did a little uh, you know, I I needed to, to keep that one shorter. So you know, I think that, <laughs> I think I think I learned my lesson there. And and the fact that you let me come back was already was already a good good sign. You're always welcome on the Lambcast. Yeah, okay. So minute thirty six begins with uh, George realizing the truth and ends with George telling Harry about the, the various changes in Bedford Falls. We ended things on Friday with uh, the board coming to a decision and deciding that the, the only way that they're going to let the, 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 the building and loan continue is if George Bailey is uh, the executive secretary. 
And we, we once again, throughout, this, there are numerous points in this movie. This is another one of them where George thinks he's going to be doing something else, but uh, uh, fate has uh, turned the tables on him and he, he needs to do the right thing. You know, that, that, that's the, the fatal flaw of George Bailey. You know, he always knows that he needs to do the right thing, even when, you know, he doesn't want to do that. That's the and, tough thing. You know, yeah. he knows he knows what's right and he's going to do it. He just he can also see that that's going to change what happens in his life. Correct. Correct. And, and the expression on his face at the beginning of this minute is, you know, very indicative of that. It don't have to say anything. It's just you know, kind right. of a, almost a freeze frame on that uh, expression. That's right, where he basically just, you see the, the look on his face as he's basically saying, well, I know what I got to do, even though I don't want to do it, you know, and we're, we're, we're going to come across that numerous times throughout the, uh, the course of this movie, even this week, we'll come across it again. And so basically, the, the line that was cut off between Friday's episode and today, heard them say, but George, they'll vote with Potter otherwise. At this point, George realizes that there's, there's nothing that he can do. And and you know pretty quickly there's there's a fade here and we're back to the space time heaven whatever you want to call it uh, no, nobody really knows where it is you know we get the the flashing lights and uh we we're we're back with uh you know seeing the flashing lights of clarence and joseph and clarence goes i know i know he didn't go that's right not only that but he gave his school money to his brother harry and sent him to college Harry became a football star, made second team All-American. Yeah, but what happened to George? George got four years older, waiting for Harry to come back and take over the building and loan. I mean, I, I, first of all, I like the way that we get this little narration every so often throughout the movie, you know, between the, the conversation between Clarence and Joseph, even though it, it's, it's, it's simplistic. You know, it's, it's a, just a simple way for them to give us exposition of, like, this just line that I just mentioned right now takes us we just covered four, four years. years of time. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. You know? That's right. We we jump from 1928 to 1932 just like that. You know, there's there's really, <laughs> you know, within seconds. You know how they do this, but 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 it's effective because we don't need to see George working at the the building alone for four years. You know, waiting for 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 Harry to come home. It it does make sense just to say it, but but this is a great a way of telling us the narrative by having, you know, these characters, Clarence and Joseph talk about them. That's right. And I mean, one of the things that I, I find it very funny that the thing that Joseph feels is important to mention is the fact that, that Harry became a football star. <laughs> well, I don't know when you're looking at somebody's academic achievements, I doubt very much that he'd be talking about his major or, uh, you know, the grade that he got on his, uh, final exams, uh, the fact that he became a football star well, in 1928, 1929, 1930, those probably seem like important things. And No, but I'm talking about the celestial, but I'm talking about the fact that celestial beings are talking about these things. You know, well, remember, you know, it, the whole point of Joseph telling Clarence all these things is so that Clarence understands, you know, George's life, and that's part of what George's life entails. You yes, know, how he's going sure. to be perceived. You know, it's you know he's George is going to be comparing his life to his to everybody else. You know, everybody else has gotten the breaks. Everybody else is 
good things have happened for him. He never resents his brother, but he does see, you know, hey, my brother got to go to college. Hey, my brother got to achieve something great. Hey, my brother, you know, got married and found somebody that he loves. Hey, my brother, as we're about to find out, uh, has maybe a different future than I thought was thinking he was going to have. And so Clarence needs to know what uh, George is going to be facing. Correct. And that's why they're talking about it. Yeah, for sure. Do, do you know how many uh, sports uh, have all American teams that are uh, that, that are voted upon yearly? I, I don't. I would imagine that it's probably all of the major sports have, you know, any that are team oriented sports. So baseball, basketball, football uh, probably have those sorts of things. I don't know if the individual sports would have all Americans or not. Maybe they do. OK, so obviously we're talking about uh, this is all college sport. The, yeah. the all American teams. Um, be, actually, before we get into the actual number, what year do you think they started the whole idea of having all American teams? Oh well, it, it was probably pretty early. You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all that it was you know somewhere in the early 1900s, you know, 1910, 1911, somewhere in there, because oh. that's when these team sports start becoming national interest you know that people start paying attention to these kinds of things okay it's actually 20 years before you mentioned is 1889 was the first time that they go. had an all-american uh, college football team okay so th- how many sports do you think there are oh, that have all-american teams oh i c- i couldn't begin to guess like i said i assumed that the major sports do so that would be four or five and maybe there are other te- you know other sports that I'm just not familiar with. It's probably a lot. There are 19 sports that have all American teams. There you okay. go. What are you going to list? You're going to list the 19 sports. I'm going to quickly go through the 19. We're not, we're not going to, we won't dive into the information, but just to say what they are in alphabetical order, archery, baseball, basketball, cross country, running, fencing, football, golf, gymnastics, ice hockey, lacrosse, rowing, rugby, Sailing, soccer, swimming and diving, tennis, track and field, volleyball, and wrestling. Yeah, there you go. Like I said, I wasn't sure if they had the individual ones as All-Americans. So fencing and wrestling and those kinds of things. I didn't know that they would have that, but sure, why not? And all the team ones, it makes sense because you you, you can put together an All-American team from all of the best players in those particular sports. So that, I guess that makes sense. I don't know how you do that with fencing, but whatever. <laughs> okay. So they, they basically have the NCAA fencing championships and then the U S fencing coach coaches association. They annually select athletes for the all American first team, second team, third team and honorable mention titles. So, wow. They, I guess there are a lot of them in fencing. <laughs> it's just a, just a ranking, I guess. Yeah. Could be. Okay. Yeah. So I, I it, you know, one of the things that I always find funny is, is so here we have these two celestial uh, beings, Joseph and Clarence, that are talking about it. And I mean, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the 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 exposition that they're giving is for us. It's not for you know, it's it's not really that Joseph yeah. is, is teaching Clarence these things. But you'd you'd wonder how Clarence knows what an all American team is. <laughs> you know, because he's been dead for two hundred years. So who knows? Yeah, and it was it wasn't covered in uh, any of Mark Twain's books. No, 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 not not, not yet. 
<laughs> yes. And then the, uh, you know, as Joseph is speaking, we, we actually get to see uh, George and Uncle Billy. They're, they're standing at the train station uh, waiting for somebody. I don't know who it could be. Who could they be waiting for? And there, there's a sign behind them. Did you notice what the sign says? I don't remember. I, I I think I did receive the sign when I looked back at the scene, but I don't remember what it was, and I didn't remember that it was any of any particular importance. But oh, it's not necessarily of importance. <laughs> you got that part wrong there, Richard. It might not be of importance, but it's something we can talk about. <laughs> oh, so, okay. <laughs> so there there are three signs in the back. You have the big one that says Bedford Falls. You know the the train train stop so that people can see you know you see this in a lot of movies you have the the sign hanging from above that says the name of uh which town or you know where you're where the train is stopping then on the yeah. wall of the train station we see a, a huge sign that says timetable you know it looks like it's being written in chalk uh you have like all the eastbound uh trains that are listed there oh yeah so they they got it they got the schedule up on the yes. wall there mm -hmm. and yeah of course so and i'm, and, I'm sure the local uh, conductor or wh whoever is in charge there posts that every day that's right um and then behind george there's got to be there's got to be a western union sign right yes there is because <laughs> <laughs> the train station is where the western union telegraph office usually is that's right so what what is the western union Western Union was basically, uh, you know, I, I think I think it was also a, a credit organization originally, but uh, most people are familiar with Western Union as the telegraph company, which was a means of communicating almost instantly uh, in the early stages of electronic communication. Uh, telegraphs, anybody who's seen a Western knows that the telegraph was the main way that they communicated between uh, long distances and they communicated over a telegraph line. Before telephones, uh, obviously, uh, you didn't have to wait for the Pony Express to show up. Uh, you could get a message, you know, almost instantly, but it was all done in uh, code, Morse code, I think, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, in those days. Uh, later on, of course, it's not Morse code that you get the telegraphs telegrams uh they were printed uh i wouldn't say by a typewriter i'm sure there was some typesetting machine that did them right. very famous you know there were lots of lots of stories that start with telegrams uh i know that you've talked about this already because it was in an earlier minute of the uh movie but mr gower of course has a telegram uh that has informed him about the passing of his son yes and from, that, from influenza which we now yeah. know is the, it was the spanish flu Spanish it was 1919, you know. So, so the, you know, COVID, basically, COVID of the 1900s. <laughs> yeah, Tele telegrams. If you know, up until the time the telephone was more ubiquitous, the telegram was the main way of communicating. And then after telephones came along, when you got a telegram, it was usually of some import, something significant or important that needed uh, more attention than you might have given a phone call. Missing a phone call would you know, could happen, but uh, it's hard to not get a telegram because they got delivered. Correct. And of course, later on, there were singing telegrams, you know, <laughs> for entertainment <laughs> purposes. Yes. That kind of thing. That's right. Uh, now, since, since we're talking about Western Union and telegrams, I didn't look it up, but I'll bet you've got it somewhere in your notes. What, what, what year was the last year that they sent telegrams? 
Um, from what I saw, it was like 1986. Yeah, it's fairly recent. 1986. I say that fairly recent. <laughs> That's yeah, 40 okay. Years. okay, 40 years, but still. But, uh, <laughs> You know, because they, they, they changed things. To, you know, they started using yeah. telex services and began to wire money and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, but what year was the was Western Union formed? Do you know? And I don't know, but I would guess probably somewhere around 1840, 1850. 1851, very good. Good, no, all right. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, again, to, to have a company that was around for 130 years uh, dealing with the stuff is, is pretty impressive. I think... I think Western Union is still around. They just don't do telegrams. They do money transfers still. That's right. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No, I was talking about them, the fact that they were in charge of, uh, you know, sending sending telegrams. You know, whenever I think of telegrams, I always think of the movie The Three Amigos. You know, where, where oh, yes. they don't where they don't have enough, uh, you know, money, money for, for the whole word. thing. So they, they he starts crossing out the words. <laughs> you know, he, he types out the whole thing and then crosses it off which words. In order to make sure that that it fits in with the the amount of money that they're willing to pay, you know. So, yeah. And then uh, you know we we start hearing a conversation between uh, George and Uncle Billy. And I uh, first of all, I love the way that the story basically the the, the conversation picks up in the middle. You know, it isn't yeah. the beginning of a conversation. He goes, and there are plenty of jobs around for someone that likes to travel. Look at this here. And he picks up these these brochures and he goes, Venezuela, oil fields, wanted, man with construction experience. Here's the Yukon right here. Wanted, man with engineering experience. Then we hear a train horn blow and he goes, there she blows. You know what the three most exciting sounds in the world are? And, and Uncle Billy looks at him and goes, Uncle oh, Billy is, uh Food centric. That's right. Breakfast is served, lunch is served, dinner. No, no, no. Anchor chains, plane motors, and train whistles. So, I mean, it's a pretty strange uh, response, even from George. You know, that those are the, the the sounds that he loves to listen to, even though he's probably never heard any of them. Well, he's heard the train whistle, but he probably has never heard a plane motor or anchor chains. Well, remember, George has always had those big expectations, the dreams of traveling the world and doing things ever since he was a little kid. After all, he was nominated for membership in the National Geographic Society. Yes, of course. And uh, so he, he wanted to travel the world. And so that – And it was preparing for his travel, harem. Yeah, it would, would <laughs> seem like uh, they're, they're exactly the kinds of things that you would have in your dreams if you were a kid imagining doing all those things. I, listen, I had a question for you. It's not necessarily what are the three most exciting sounds in the world, but what are your three favorite sounds in the world? My three favorite sounds. Um, hmm, it's a very interesting uh, question. I, it's something I never even thought about, like uh, favorite sounds. Yeah, because um, I, I, over, over the years, I've had a lot of sounds that I just said, you know what, that's one of my favorite things. That I listen for, and uh, let me tell you my three, and then okay. you can think about it a little bit. Okay. I, I, one one of the favorite sounds, of course, is a loved one answering the phone. Okay. When you call and somebody that you really care about answers the phone, it's it's a it's a heartwarming moment. It's something that you uh, 
appreciate you're glad that they're there that everything you know that they're capable of answering the phone that they bothered to do so uh i know the world's a different place people just do texting all the time nowadays and don't really use phones the same way but uh, look at the end of the day the there was a phone call for most of my career and i was always happy to you know a answer the call or make the call and okay that was always great oh wow and then okay. uh and then there's uh when i was a little kid i we did a lot of traveling my i i went with my parents on most of the jobs that they did they toured around uh, i think i've told you before that my father was a performer he was an entertainer a magician and, yes and we went to all kinds of places in in the west traveling to do uh shows at high schools at colleges at fairs at we we did went to all kinds of places and when you're a little kid and it's been a long day and the day is ending one of the best sounds in the world is the sound of tires turning on gravel at the end of a long drive oh wow and i always remember that sound and it, it was always very rich to me and one of those things that i just said oh that's the thank god you know we're at the end of the day we're safe and sound the we're coming to a stop and it's ready you know we're ready to call an end to the day and I, I always liked that sound when I was a kid. And then uh, for years and years, I had two miniature dachshunds that would run up down the hallway whenever uh, I came home. And the sound of miniature dachshunds running down a carpeted hallway became one of my favorite things because they would just, you know, they were so excited that somebody was home. They they would come and I would I couldn't even see them. I could just hear the sound of their feet running on the carpet and it always made me happy. So those are three happy sounds. And oh, they're wow. not necessarily the most exciting sounds in the world, but they're three sounds that always made me happy. Well, that's great, Richard. Really is. I, I I've never thought about it. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have to think about it. Maybe I might I might have to give you an answer tomorrow. I don't know. I, that's you know, okay. It's you, not you it's, it's it not something bit. I've ever really thought about. You know, what type of sounds? Well, I've always heard that smell is maybe the most evocative of our senses, but to me, I I, I think it's been sound. Really, I, I for me, I, when you if you talk about smell, so I, I know two of my favorite smells. One is the you know when you have the first rain, when which picks up like all the dust and the leaves and stuff like that. So there's the you know the smell of the first rain, right. and I also really enjoy the smell of you know after a candle has burnt out. Oh, okay. That's an interesting one. Yeah. You know, I think there's actually a name for the smell that comes up off of the sidewalk when it first rains, as as the sidewalk is dry and the rain's hitting it. I think there's a name for that, but I don't know what it is. There's a is, word is for that it. A, um, uh, is that a sniglet? You know, it's not – I don't think it's a sniglet. I don't think it's something that somebody made up. I, I, I think there's actually a scientific word for that odor. But I I can't tell you what it is. I didn't look it up. I wasn't thinking about it. Uh, I know the, you'll probably while you're thinking of your favorite sounds at some point you'll say, "Let me see if I can find the answer to that it's question a, tomorrow." You're, you're going to surprise me. There you go. Petrichor. A petrichor is the term coined by Australian scientists scientists in 1964 to describe the unique earthly smell associated with rain. It is caused by the water from the rain along with certain compounds like ozone, geosmin, and plant oils and soil. There you are. I mean, I mean does that, does that, is, I mean, do you remember that that is the name of it or? 
No, I, I I thought it started with a P, but I didn't remember the actual word. Right, I mean that, that that's what I found. It's, it's 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 not. Yeah, no, that's that sounds absolutely right. I just uh, like I said, it's not one of those, uh, you know, twenty thousand words in my vocabulary. Well, it's also not something that you're going to necessarily use on a regular basis. Exactly. You know, if you want to talk about words, my favorite word in the in the in in the in English is defenestrate. That's a good word. Do you, are you familiar with the word? You know what? If I saw it in a sentence, I think I'd understand what was being said. But if you asked me to define it, I probably wouldn't give a very well. The sentence I would the, the sentence I would give you is, is he died by defenestration. But I don't think that would that wouldn't really help you to understand what the you know what the defenestration is the act of of uh, of of flying through a window or breaking through a window, something like that. No, I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, so that's a, that's a cool word. Yes, it really is. <laughs> I remember, I, I think I must have been in high school. I had like a word of the day, and that was one of them. And I was like, wow. And <laughs> you know, and here, you know, thirty thirty something years later, I still remember that word. I don't remember most of the three hundred sixty five words that were on that calendar, but that one I do <laughs> because and and you know, as I said, it's not something that I use on a daily basis unless I'm telling somebody that that's my favorite word. You know, that's you want to you want to hold on to it and keep it in your pocket to be able to drop it at the appropriate time and impress somebody. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> Ooh, in that movie, that that character died of defenestration. You know. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Basically, you know, George, we 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 see that he hasn't lost his uh, thrill for adventure. You know, he's looking forward to listening to anchor chains, plane motors, and train whistles. But I think he's just going to have to settle for train whistles at this point. Yeah, I don't yep. think there's uh, anything anything else that's uh, <laughs> that that's going to help him at this point. I don't think he's going to become a merchant marine. Uh, probably not. And uh, you know, they they continue talking and uh, they're walking towards where the the train is coming in. And you know, back to the fact that Uncle Billy. Once you know, is constantly talking about food. I mean, we see he's sitting there and he's eating uh, peanuts, and then he offers uh, George a peanut. <laughs> do, do you know any other names for peanuts? Oh, um, there's some slang terms for them, and I don't remember what any of them are. You know. Okay. So basically, what what I found is there are four four other names for the for for a peanut. They're each either called a ground nut. A goobers. A goober. Very good. There you go. There's one. Okay. Uh, a pindar or a monkey nut. I hadn't heard that one. Yeah. I well, I didn't either until uh, <laughs> until I looked them up either. <laughs> and do you know where peanuts are native of? Like where where did where did they start making peanuts or discover peanuts? I guess. Where they discovered peanuts, I don't know. I know that uh, you know peanuts became an industry in the American South because uh, Booker T. Washington finding uses for it. But uh, I don't. I couldn't tell you who the first person was who dug a peanut up out of the ground and said, "Hey, let's eat this." Okay, so peanuts are native to South America. Okay. They 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 were originally found in Peru, Bolivia, Argentina, Brazil. You know, that whole area. And uh, eventually, you know, via colonization and, and the triangle trade, <laughs> they started making it all over the place. Um, but as you mentioned, 
the the most peanuts that are made these days are made in the U.S. And uh, it it actually was a garden crop during the uh, colonial period. So yeah. And you know which U.S. president was originally a peanut farmer, right? Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> that would be uh, uh, Bill Clinton, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be Jimmy Carter. The, the, That's it. As of recording, still the oldest living president. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, obviously you have uh, peanut butter that people uh, uh, associate. There are probably more people who who uh, who use peanut butter in America at least than than eat peanuts by themselves. You know, when, when oh, do you I'm think, sure that's true, yeah. Right. When do you think peanut butter was developed? Oh, that's another one of those ones that's probably, you know, 1880, somewhere around there. Very good. 1890s. Very good. Yeah. And then uh, in 1904, the Beech Nut Company started selling peanut butter at the St. Louis World's Fair, and that's where it really started, uh, you know, uh, becoming very uh, popular. I think the St. Louis World's Fair is one of those places where a lot of things that we think of today as, you know, kind of you know, innovations of a time period were introduced. Uh, I think uh, hot dogs, ice cream in a cone. Uh, there's something else, uh, maybe cotton candy. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, were were innovations that came along during uh, the uh, 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis. So yep. meet me in St. Louis and we'll get some sponge sugar and some ice cream in a cone and have ourselves a peanut butter sandwich for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Now, a lot of people talk about the fact that there are, there are a lot of people who are allergic to peanuts. What percentage of the U.S. population do you think is allergic to or, or have allergic reactions to peanuts? I, you know, it's and we're talking the whole a, range, you know, just people, not necessarily yeah. just people who have anaphylactic shock, which are some people, you know, who will have, they have some different kind of types reaction. of allergic reactions to it. Yeah. Uh, maybe 10%. 0.6%. No, 10%. That's really 10%. small. Yeah, well, it's all relative. I mean, think about how many people are in America and, you know, and you take yeah, 1% point, and then it's half of one, a little more than half of 1%. So. Well, it's really funny because when we were passing out treats on Halloween, uh, one of the questions I asked all the kids, anybody have peanut allergies? Because a lot of the candies that we passed out had peanuts in them. And that's one of those things that you want to be careful about because sometimes kids do have those kinds of issues. But it sounds to me like it's so much more rare that it's not a big deal. Uh, I probably didn't need to ask every kid coming to the door. <laughs> no, you know, as, as, as a parent of, 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 you know, two kids who have uh, dairy allergies, I, I, I appreciate the fact that you would ask that type of question because most people don't even think of asking. So there you go. And, and it's always best to, to, to err on the side of caution with these things. All right. You, know, you don't want, you don't want some parent, uh, you know, banging Reduce in my your liability. door. That's right. <laughs> banging in your door. Why the hell did you give my son peanuts? You know, well, why didn't you ask him if he's allergic to peanuts? <laughs> well, I was going to pass out pints of milk, but I was afraid somebody might be allergic to that. There you go. <laughs> you would, you would probably have to buy a lot of pints of milk if that's what you were planning on doing. I think it's easier to give little pieces of candy or peanuts. <laughs> Here's one peanut for each one. You know, who knows? Then we get a uh, a, a nice uh, uh, wipe of, on the screen, and then we we see George and Uncle Billy waiting as uh, you know people are disembarking from the plane from the 
from the train. Uh, we see the porter taking some uh, bags off or whatever. And then, uh, you know, we then George basically says, there's the professor now. Old Professor Phi Beta Kappa, All-American Bailey. And then the, the response is, as Harry gets off, he goes, why old George Geographic Explorer Bailey? And then he goes, what? No husky dogs? No sled? <laughs> Uncle Billy, you haven't changed a bit. And the response is from George, which is pretty funny. Nobody ever changes here. You know that. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a pretty grumpy uh, type of response for him to be saying that, but it makes sense because you know George always feels trapped. Yes. So for him to make a, a to to make that type of uh, comment makes a lot of sense. It does indeed. Yeah. And uh, that's all I have for for this uh, for this minute. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, let me see. Um, well, I, I just you know it's kind of a, a funny thing you know where they refer he refers to Harry as the professor. Uh, I I heard that a few times when I was in college by uh, parents or family members. You know they would refer to me as. Uh, the professor because I was in college, uh, you know, obviously later on it would be a more appropriate description. Yeah, me, exactly. It was one of those things. <laughs> I, I think in those days it was just kind of a acknowledgement of a higher education that somebody's going to, um, you know, to, to school. And That's you it. see, and you, you took it to, to heart. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so every Monday we have a segment called Capra Monday, where my guests will give their top five Frank Capra movies. Uh, start with your number five and work your way up, Richard. All right, well, my uh, top five uh, Capra films are first, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, you know, which I think is uh, pretty solid, very entertaining. It's, um, oh, yeah, I'm having one of those old man moments here. I know the guy's name. Gary Cooper, gee, many crickets, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, that's a that's a fun movie with also uh, Walter Brennan is a supporting character there. It's very entertaining, uh, amusing. Um, I, you know, I did not see the remake with uh, Adam Sandler, but I know that uh, it was pretty successful and people appreciate a good comedy. My number four film is uh, the film that Frank Capra first won his Academy Awards for. It happened one night, which is a great romantic comedy with uh, Clark Gable and um, Claudette Colbert. And uh, it's if people haven't seen that film, I think they would really enjoy it. It's it's very entertaining and it is funny and romantic. Uh, it's and uh, it's famously responsible for uh, the decline in t-shirt sales at one point because there's a scene in the movie where Clark Gable and uh, Claudette Colbert share a, a hotel room and he puts up the walls of Jericho and he's not wearing an undershirt and suddenly, you know, those became passe. Holy criminy. Clark Gable's <laughs> not wearing an undershirt. Why do we need to? That's right. Uh, and and, and then, that movie that movie also uh, spawned the, the idea of uh, Bugs Bunny eating a carrot. Yep. I remember that uh, Clark Gable was uh, chomping on the carrot. Uh, I'm not sure he said "What's up, Doc?" but he might have. <laughs> I don't think he said it, but uh, it was it was the pose. 
and then uh, meet John Doe would be my third. Uh, I like uh, kind of the political aspect of that. I think that's uh, pretty interesting. Um, and uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the the actor who's who's the villain in that piece. He's so good in so many things, and it's it's I'm blanking out on it right now. Um, but uh, that that's a good film, and it's another one. It's very hopeful. Uh, very hopeful. I, by the way, I did exclude uh, It's a Wonderful Life from my choice. I think we had why this would conversation. You, why would you do that? <laughs> because we're already talking about It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, and I yeah, was going to say, I think we had this conversation three or four um, projects Times. ago when we talked about <laughs> Die Hard, you know. And, right. and and I think I did the same thing. And you were surprised that I would do that. And I just said, well, because we're already talking about that. So right. I wanted to talk about other films. Okay. I, I think you're referring to Edward Arnold. Yes, that's who I'm talking about. Thank you yeah. very much. And he's got those uh, pince knees glasses that he wears during the 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 film. And he just, I mean, he's he doesn't have a mustache to twirl, but he's got a great voice that uh, is all villainy and oily. Mm-hmm. And then uh, number two is Arsenic and Old Lace, which is just uh, hysterical. It's got um, uh, Raymond Massey in it playing uh, basically Boris Karloff. You know, so it's a funny bit there. Peter Laurie is in the film. And Cary Grant is the star. And people who aren't familiar with it, Cary Grant's aunts are, uh, they're murdering people yeah. and putting them in the basement. <laughs> and, uh, but they're they're not mal- malicious murderers. They, they believe they are, you know, it's like euthanasia. You know, it's one of those <laughs> strange sorts of things that they use to justify it. And then my favorite, outside of uh, It's a Wonderful Life, is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, which is a political film and has um, Claude Rains in it, who's one of my favorite character actors from the period. It's just a, a and same sort of thing. There's a lot of emotional wallop to it. It's very patriotic, and I, I appreciate the Capra patriotism. I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, of course. That makes sense. All right, great. So you want to uh, tell everyone uh, where they can find Richard Kirkham? Well, you could locate me at my uh, blog site, which is Kirkham a Movie a Day. I have two sites. Uh, there's a, a blogger page. That's uh, kirkhamclass.blogspot.com. But there's also a uh, WordPress page. Same content, basically, at uh, com. The... Uh, Everything's better organized on the Blogspot page, and I have additional pages that link to other projects there. And, of course, on a weekly basis, you can find me on the Lambcast, which is the official podcast of the Large Association of Movie Blogs, um, which I hope a lot of people will be interested in joining or investigating. And uh, we do a weekly podcast on a variety of subjects. Uh, Most months we have a movie of the month. Uh, We cover one or two new films that are released. We have uh, special franchise kinds of shows and lookbacks and uh, we have draft shows and we talk about actors and actresses in particular. And we like I said, we get a variety of guests each week who are bloggers, uh, writers, um, podcasters who all have something that they want to say about a movie and they participate in the process and you of course have been a guest on many times and yes. we're looking forward to hearing from you again. 
Can't wait for that. Can't wait for that. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Your Up Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, moveyourupminute.com. So until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly did. Life with its sorrow. Life with its tears